There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Stephen Strange. We will see what kind of Doctor Strange you are. Part of Now Playing's Avengers and Marvel Comics movie series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Never heard of them. Hosted by Arnie. Everything you've ever known led you to this moment. Jacob. It's about time you showed up. And Stuart. The Illuminati will see you now. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find reviews that span the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. You still don't know when to give up, do you? I can do this all day. But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and mildly objectionable language. And guru. Whoa! Language! Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. We hope you enjoy the show. Showtime, a-holes! Today, we're discussing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Elizabeth Olsen, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Benedict Wong, Sochil Gomez, with Michael Stahlberg. For some reason, he gets a with. He's in like 30 seconds of the movie, but he gets a with. Yeah, you're going to have to point it out. I don't even recognize that name. And Rachel McAdams, directed by Sam Raimi. This is Arnie, host of Now Playing, and I am happy. Especially happy to be podcasting with these two gentlemen. And this is Stuart. And this is the greatest threat to the universe, Jacob. So were you guys excited for Doctor Strange 2? I remember how much Stuart loved Doctor Strange 1. <laughs> he preferred the TV movie to this. I still do. I went back and watched the original. I hadn't seen it since theaters. Marvel number 14. I mean, that was a long time ago. 14 movies ago. And it isn't very strange. Yeah, it has some cool kaleidoscope chase scenes. But that movie is dull as shit. I couldn't remember anything about it. And I can see why. It's a terrible film, actually. I could not be excited about anything that promises to be more of that. But, of course... This movie promises to be a little bit different because, as you pointed out, it is the return of Sam Raimi to the director's chair for the first time in, I don't know, a decade. Nine years. I looked it up. It has been nine years since he directed. Wasn't supposed to be him. Scott Derrickson, who did the first one. And let's point out, it's been six years since he did the first one. He was on board for the second one, and I follow him on Twitter, and he was tweeting like, I didn't get to go as horror-filled as I wanted to with the first one. We're going to fix that with the second one. We're going to go really horror. We're going to make sure that it is a standout, different-feeling Marvel film. And then he quit. (laughs) 
the ubiquitous creative differences, my guess on it, just following his tweets, was he wanted to go too dark. Yeah, we'll talk about the horror in this, but yeah, Raimi's on board. Oh, it's a Marvel film, though. Like, they just want someone to come in under budget and on time, and like, so will he get to do his thing? Yeah, I think more or less. Again, we'll get into it, but did he just want it to be like an R-rated slasher, lots of gore or something? Like, what kind of horror does he want in this? Well, we reviewed his Sinister films, which I primarily know him from. And Hellraiser 5. Oh, that's right, that's right. (laughs) I mean, you did Hellraiser 5, and you're going to get picky about these big studio productions you get to do now? What he has said recently, because both he and Kevin Feige are doing press junkets right now, and Kevin Feige and he have pretty much said the same story, that Derrickson, his heart wasn't in Doctor Strange 2, and primarily because it's not the movie he really wanted to be making. Mm. And the movie he ended up wanting to be making was The Black Phone with Ethan Hawke. So he has that movie coming out in a few weeks instead of Doctor Strange 2. He intentionally, to go from such a huge budget film to kind of a micro budget film makes me think that he either didn't like working on big projects or they didn't want him working on big projects. But this film found itself scrambling for a new director. It was ready to go. Feige called up Raimi and said, how would you feel about coming in and doing this? And Raimi, you know he loves Marvel. You've seen his Spider-Man films very closely hewing, or at least the first two, to the comic source material. He's a Marvel fan. And what Raimi said is he's really enjoyed what Marvel Studios has been doing. And he liked the chance to be able to play in this world and was told he'd get a lot of creative control. And I think we see that. We'll discuss it, but... Is this a Marvel movie? Is this a Sam Raimi movie? Can something be a hybrid of the two? Yeah, well, I mean, again, as you say, Sam Raimi doesn't mean something polar opposite to what Marvel wants. It's just that not only does he make Spider-Man movies, but he also has the Evil Dead in his canon. And how much of that? We are going to get zombies. We are going to get demons. We are going to get some moments of surprise. I'm pretty sure there's some deadites that show up. (laughs) Yeah, right. Let me put it this way. I went into the theater. I saw this movie twice. I went Thursday, and I'm just going to say right now, 10 o'clock movies are out for me. I can't do it anymore. I'm too old. I had a long day and I knew going into it, I'm like, I should get a Coke or something. I am so tired, but I'm like, I gotta get this thing in. And sure enough, half hour in, I was doing that head nod thing where like, I look at my notes, I like wrote half of what they said and then it just stopped and because I would nod off and like, I'm like, I gotta see this one again. Went in the next day, saw it IMAX in 3D this time and was sitting right next to an eight-year-old girl, or I presume to be, around that age and I thought oh this will be helpful because last night was all the cheering fanboys this one had more kids in the audience I wanted to see how they were going to process some of these shocks the big eyeball all the gross stuff Uh, was it going to be too intense is 3D back I guess it never went away but watching this I did not see it in 3D I saw it in good old 2D but I'm like oh this must be 3D. Like, some of those shots, they just look weird when they're projected 2D, and I'm like, there's got to be 3D projection for this. I guess Avatar 2 is coming back, so 3D will come roaring back at some point, but yeah, this did get a 3D release, which I thought we were done with those. I don't see the big 3D on the poster anymore, like, where they would really push the... See this in 3D. It, it doesn't feel like there's that push. Everything still gets a 3D release, but what's funny 
is, it used to be so hard to find a 2D showing, but now it's hard to find a 3D showing. Most of the showings are 2D. I did see this in 3D because Sam Raimi said to. In one of the little featurettes, he said, we made this with an eye towards 3D. And that's a great way to see it. So I had to find a special screening. It wasn't IMAX 3D. It was Real D 3D. So I saw this Thursday night in 3D, but it was also shot entirely with IMAX cameras. So it's not like if you go to IMAX, you know how certain scenes sometimes are IMAX formatted and then other times it's kind of letterboxed. This whole thing was IMAX formatted. So I went back Friday. Both shows were sold out for me, but Friday was the screaming fanboy night, whereas Thursday was kind of a more subdued crowd. But Friday I saw it in IMAX. I was glad to have the fanboys screaming on Thursday. They kept waking me up. I'm not kidding. Like, when the Illuminati appeared on screen, I had been out for at least five minutes. (laughs) Well, let me say... The fanboy reaction was fun to watch because having seen this movie on Thursday, and I'll say right up front, this was not the movie I was expecting to see. Then going back Friday and knowing what the movie was, I was watching the fanboy reaction or the lack of reaction as it kept going. Like, they applauded the Marvel logo. By midway through the movie, their reactions were very different. Interesting. Like, I didn't know a whole lot. I saw one, maybe two trailers for this where I got a little bit of information of what the storyline's going to be. But I'd see those clickbait headlines like, is this how the MCU gets the... X-Men back into their universe. I'm like, screw all that. I hate all that noise. And so I was surprised. I didn't have like fanboy moments, but I did have a smile on my face, just more or less because of what they do with some of the cameos here. Like it caught me off guard because I went in pretty spoiler free. And they spoiled everything. I mean, in the second trailer, you hear Patrick Stewart's voice. Oh, okay. I had no idea. I caught it, but I'm like, we don't know if it's Patrick Stewart. It sounds like his voice. You see a hand on a yellow something, and I'm like, they're leading us to believe it, but would they bring back Professor X? And I'm like, well, maybe. Maybe they're finally going to explain that Ralph Boner joke from WandaVision. Maybe he'll show up, too, with Professor X. But then, in one of the later trailers, they showed Captain Carter. Oh, really? They showed her shield clearly in a TV spot, And then in a later TV spot, they showed Captain Carter. And then in an international TV spot, they showed Mr. Fantastic and Professor X fully. What? Wow. I thought you'd keep all that secret. Yeah, no, but look, you're also looking for it then. If you're watching international spots and all of that, (laughs) you're trying to be spoiled. You're not saying, oh, they ruined it. You're gleaning little flash frames, and then saying, what can I get out of this? I'm not looking for this, but keep in mind, I run the now playing social media. I follow a lot of movie accounts. This was put in front of me were screen grabs of the international TV spot. And Captain Carter leads me to ask, we watched WandaVision, which was a lead into this. We know where Scarlet Witch was between the movies. Was it? I feel like they more or less like pushed that aside. Like, forget all that character development. We'll discuss it, though. <laughs> no, you have to have watched that to know her motivation. You wouldn't understand what she's doing if you hadn't seen the show. Mm-hmm. I would love to talk to somebody who hasn't seen WandaVision who watched this movie. My wife watched this with me. She didn't see WandaVision. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, she had kids in one of those Disney TV shows, and then they were fake. So she asked. 
She asked what's going on. Yeah, I think you do need to be aware or have someone around you that is aware of WandaVision to watch this. I would agree. I was surprised how required I felt WandaVision was, especially watching it the second time. I'm paying attention to be like, how much do they tell you? And there's a dropped sentence, but I feel like if you want to know the character motivations, you better have seen that. Yeah, I I guess my point is you didn't need to see all six hours of that to get what was going on. Well, you never do. You never need to see a Marvel movie to, to walk into a Marvel movie, but it certainly would help. I mean, you will get more out of the experience having familiarity with the storylines. But the other question I had is, did either of you watch the What If animated series? Nope. Two episodes. I watched the first one just to see what it was. I remember liking What If back in the days when I picked up comic books, basically, because I just liked the idea of teasing impossible storylines they'd never do for real. And it was the episode about Peggy Carter becoming Captain America. And then I knew that they had a Doctor Strange episode. After I saw the movie, I went and watched that one as well. Yeah, I never watched What If, but I do collect like the little Lego minifigures that they sell, like blind bags. And they did have a Marvel wave. And I'm like, oh, there's a zombie Captain America and a Captain Carter and a sorcerer spider-man i'm like this this is all got to be from the what if thing well you don't have to watch what if what if is far more optional than wandavision for this but if you want to know why the hell is there a captain carter that is episode one of what if i mean it's a multiverse right do you really need to watch a cartoon to understand why captain carter shows up in a multiverse Yeah, and surprise, she shows up and acts just like Captain America. You could foretell anything that she did in that show. It's not a particularly great episode. No, I didn't think it was either. It was rather rote. But then there is the Doctor Strange episode that really focused on his love for Christine, Rachel McAdams. Yeah. What are they talking about? Look, I went back and watched (laughs) that first movie. They were colleagues. Once or twice, they hooked up. There was no undying love between them. He loves her in every universe, Stuart. No. (laughs) And it showed how Doctor Strange could go dark because it was what if Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands. That was the episode title. And in the car accident, he was taking Christine to that event. And when he had the car accident, she died. His hands didn't get damaged. And we see Doctor Strange go pretty dark and weird In that, before we see that happen in this movie, because of his love for Christine. And then at the end of that series, Ultron, wielding the Infinity Gems, breaks the multiverse, and all the episodes of What If come together. So you have Captain Carter with Weird Doctor Strange and all these people together. So it all tied up with them coming together. But it did serve as quite the prologue for this Doctor Strange movie. It was like one of those prequel comics. You don't gotta read it, but it set things up. Yeah, while we're talking about all this Disney Plus stuff, like, where does this fall with Loki? What is the higher reality? It Was Loki, was all the variants, was that above the multiverse? Was that trapped in one universe? Like, are they gonna show up and start trying to zap all these variant strangers? Is a different timeline the same as a different universe in a multiverse? Okay. I've seen all these films, still don't get it. I'm not sure they get it, you know? I think... (laughs) Yeah. Let's call it what it is. They're going to repeat things that they've done in other series here. And yes, what you're talking about, there already was a bureaucracy to handle multiverses. Yes, we didn't need the Illuminati, but this movie needed to pull some strings to get people excited. 
Well, it kind of is what it is. We don't have another way to look at it, but this wasn't the plan. This is, again, a COVID compromise. What was supposed to happen is WandaVision was supposed to air, and one week after the finale, we go see Doctor Strange. Oh, so this is super delayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after Doctor Strange, we were going to get What If. Then Doctor Strange with the multiverse was going to lead into Loki. And then Loki was going to lead into the ultimate multiversal climax of Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh. I still don't understand how Loki works with these. Like, where are the time police getting all these variants? And obviously you can watch them in that order now and it wouldn't change the fact that there's redundancy. So I'm imagining that this movie had to just straight up throw ideas out and change things and maybe do things that feel redundant because it couldn't do the ideas that set the foundation for what had already happened. Yeah, there were notorious reshoots. Every Marvel film has reshoots, but for some reason, the stories of these have grown. Yeah, it's a pain of all creative process, and one never knows when we heck all these stupid movies, maybe at one point they were great. All we can do is review what's being offered now, and I'm just seeing a lesser version of things Marvel has already put out. I don't think Doctor Strange is one of their top-tier characters. I don't get the sense the Benedict Cumberbatch has replaced Robert Downey Jr. Have you seen Phase 4 of Marvel? None of it feels as good as what we had before. Except for No Way Home, which is the best. Sure, yeah, I mean, that's still Spider-Man. But, yeah, they're dealing with the B-team. Maybe C. (laughs) This is one of the top characters they have left. I mean, Doctor Strange will say it in this movie. We've got the Archer with the Mohawk and various bug-themed superheroes. Who is the Archer with the Mohawk? Did Hawkeye get a Mohawk? He had the shaved sides during Infinity War. Yeah, it wasn't really a Mohawk, though. I always liked Doctor Strange from his look from the comics, and I really came to like Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange in Infinity War, and then in his few scenes in Endgame, but he was really good in Infinity War. I think he works well as a supporting character or part of an ensemble better than he worked as a solo hero in that first film. I don't want to see a Doctor Strange movie with this guy. I'll just be that blunt. Yes, back at the start of our Marvel exploration, did I enjoy a 1978 TV movie where they actually had a devil-worshipping superhero? (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. But did I think it was great entertainment? No. And I feel like, particularly in the hands of Disney, they're not going to make the movie that I wanted. Maybe it was Scott Derrickson's vision that I was searching. Yeah, I'm going to call you Scott Derrickson, not Stuart. <laughs> yeah, but I came into this movie pretty much arms folded, particularly after watching the first one again. I was like, oh, I'll give it a chance. Do you guys like that first movie for real? Like you stand by the Green Arrows? Yeah, I I would still recommend it. On a second viewing, and maybe a third, that's probably the most I've watched it. It's not as strong. Like, it was all those visuals that I thought was really cool. You had not seen that in a Marvel film at the time. I like it. I've probably seen it a dozen times now. I mean, I've done... It's not one I often go to. Like, I feel like watching a Marvel movie, let me break out Doctor Strange. That's happened maybe two or three times in six years. But... I've marathoned all the Marvel movies enough. I did it before Infinity War, did it again before Endgame, did it in theaters, you know, done that enough that I've seen this movie quite a bit. And yeah, I like it. It's still got its problems. I still think the flying cloak is a little too much in there. It's a little magic carpety. Mm, very Fantasia. What do you like about it? The visuals are the number one thing about it. The way that it rips off Inception and... 
does the folding city. I like the interplay between Benedict Cumberbatch and Mads Mikkelsen when Kaecilius calls him Mr. and he goes, it's Doctor and Mr. Doctor. It's strange. Maybe who am I to judge? I just, I always love that line. And the humor with Wong. I mean, I think Wong has become a much better character since that movie, but I really like him, although he's out whoring some Tide Pods right now for this movie. I don't know if you guys have seen those ads. Is that the tie-in for Doctor Strange? I'm like, we got pizza balls. I'm like, what pizza company team? But no, it's Tide? It's Tide Pods. I mean, that's what the kids are eating, so I guess it's kind of like a pizza (laughs) ball anyway. Well, and just to go there, like, there is a long semi-racist tradition of promoting Chinese actors as great at laundry. Remember Ancient Chinese Secret? Look it up, kids. YouTube that shit. You're going to cringe. Here's my issue with Doctor Strange. Maybe this is a personal bias. I just don't really like Benedict Cumberbatch as an actor. He's just never really impressed me. He feels too stiff. Maybe that's right for Doctor Strange. But I will say going into this, just seeing the trailers, it felt more like an ensemble piece. I knew we were going to get America Chavez. We were getting Scarlet Witch. So I'm like, maybe one of those characters will at least give me something to enjoy. Because yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch, not my thing. Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch catches the arrogance of a doctor, but he doesn't have the charm of Downey. Like, that's the thing that's missing, is that we have all the sour and none of the laughter. And so, by design, he's difficult to like, but he's supposed to be a rascal that you come around to. And one full movie and several guest appearances later, I still don't like this Doctor Strange. I've really come around to him. He was a bit difficult for me in that first solo movie, but... Infinity War, No Way Home. I was excited for this movie. I mean, let's face it, after Eternals, I'd have been excited if there was a solo Vision movie at this point. Anything to get back to familiar territory. You say that, I don't think Eternals is any less dynamic than Doctor Strange, the first movie. They're both dull. But you know what? We do what we have to here. It sounds like you would see any Marvel movie, Arnie. I am doing due diligence and hoping for better. Why don't you give them the plot and we'll see if being in the madness of the multiverse helps Doctor Strange at all. Stephen Strange, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, isn't happy. He lives alone in the Sanctum Santorum but he puts on a happy face when he goes to attend the wedding of his former lover, Christine Palmer, played again by Rachel McAdams. At her wedding, Christine says Strange's need to be in control meant their relationship could never have worked. He exits the wedding early, though, when a giant one-eyed tentacle monster starts to terrorize New York City. Together with Sorcerer Supreme Wong, played by Benedict Wong, the two defeat the monster. They discover the beast was after a young woman named America Chavez, played by Sochiel Gomez. America has the unusual power of being able to open portals that allow her to traverse the multiverse. However, she has no control of the power. It randomly fires when she gets terrified. America tells Strange and Wong she's been chased from universe to universe by monsters that want to steal her power, which will kill her as a side effect. As proof, America shows them the body of Doctor Strange from another universe. When it looked like the demons were going to win, that Doctor Strange tried to steal America's power, killing her, for the greater good. Now America doesn't trust any Doctor Strange not to do the same thing. It doesn't take very long before Doctor Strange discovers the person behind these attacks, Wanda Maximoff, 
the former Avenger played by Elizabeth Olsen. Wanda is tormented by memories of her two sons she conjured during the events of the WandaVision miniseries. Using dark magic found in Agatha Harkness's Darkhold book, Wanda learned that in every other multiverse, that Wanda has those two boys as her sons. Wanda wants to steal America's power so she can permanently inhabit a reality where she can be the boy's mother. When Strange and Wong refuse to give up the girl, Wanda massacres scores of sorcerers. As Wanda draws close, America panics and she and Strange teleport to a new universe. Wanda takes Wong as hostage. Using more dark magic, she begins to puppet control the Wanda in the reality where Strange and America went. In this new universe, America and Strange go seeking help from that universe's Doctor Strange. When they reach the Sanctum, though, they discover Strange is dead. He'd been using dark magic to explore other universes, but his tampering caused an entire reality to be destroyed, killing trillions of people. That Strange assembled a group called the Illuminati, consisted of Black Bolt, played by Anson Mount, Captain Carter, played by Haley Atwell, Mr. Fantastic, played by John Krasinski, Captain Marvel Maria Rambo, played by actress Lashana Lynch, Baron Mordo, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, and Professor Charles Xavier, played by Patrick Stewart. The Illuminati kill that universe's Doctor Strange for his transgressions. And the Illuminati think that every Doctor Strange is a danger, and are prepared to kill our Steven, but before they can, that universe's Wanda, controlled by our Wanda, storms the compound and kills most of the Illuminati. She captures America and returns to our universe to suck out America's power. United with that universe's Christine, Strange taps into Wanda's dark magic to take control of the corpse of Strange left in our universe. Zombie Strange stops Wanda's spell. Wong tells Strange to take America's power lest the Scarlet Witch win, but Steven gives up control. Instead of killing the girl, he tells America to believe in herself. She does have the ability to control her power. With this giving her self-confidence, America taps into her power and sends Wanda back to a universe to see her boys. But the boys are scared of this version of their mother. Wanda realizes she's become a monster. She destroys the Darkholds in every universe, seemingly killing herself in the process. But isn't there already, a, like, nine episodes that reveal that she was a monster? She wasn't going to do this again? Yeah. That's what I'm saying! You don't need to watch that because they're going to reverse all that character development. It does feel a little repetitive there, yes. We've hit this note already. America returns Rachel to her universe and Strange to ours, and America stays in this universe, training under Wong to be a sorcerer. But Strange has been tainted by the dark magic, and a woman named Clea, played by Charlize Theron, appears to Strange, saying he's caused an incursion with another universe. The two go to repair that incursion as credits roll. As they start, we're kind of thrown in the middle of a whole bunch of space debris. Teenage girl and a man-bunned Doctor Strange are running towards a book. The idea is obviously to create confusion, excitement, they're being chased by a demon. The twist, of course, is that this Doctor Strange, you'd think he'd be an ally, but I could see Benedict Cumberbatch killing a 16-year-old girl. That wasn't such a shock. <laughs> I mean, that was the whole character development of the first Doctor Strange, is he's a control freak. He's got to do everything himself. So, yeah, it, it feels in character. Yeah, and this is Doctor Strange. They call him Defender Doctor Strange because he's wearing the outfit from the Defenders comics from, I think, the mid-teens years. Yeah, great run. Go read it. Matt Fraction, the, the same writer who did that great run on Hawkeye. But I love that this movie starts like a gunshot. There is not a lot of downtime in this movie. 
Usually we spend the first half hour setting up everything. Here we start, and this was incredible 3D. I loved all of this stuff flying at me as they are jumping from floating space platform to floating space platform, and all of this is going on. They're being chased by this wispy, fiery demon. I... I'm just immediately into this movie with the visuals and everything and shocked that they introduced America so quickly. Well, they got to get something revving up because you say that this movie doesn't stop. It's going to stop for a lot coming right after this. You start with a bang and you're right. This is where the 3D is the best. I feel like in lots of this movie and the talking scenes, it just looked 2D. There wasn't a whole lot of dimension. There wasn't a whole lot to be impressed with, but this was cool looking. It's a post-conversion job. If it's a CGI world, the 3D is amazing, which is primarily here and at the end. Right. Everything in the middle, I forgot was 3D. <laughs> I agree. Many points in the movie, I forgot that I was wearing the glasses. But again, the thing that's supposed to hook us here is that, yes, they're trying to get to some book, but when it appears impossible to do so, this strange has been stabbed and, and seems to be infected. Should we blame that he's turning evil, that he turns around and starts killing a young woman? Uh, you know, we'll find out through the course of the movie that, in fact, he's just a calculating person. And this movie's theme is, what are you willing to sacrifice to save the greater good and your own happiness? Very in line with his character, though. If you think about it, he's the one who handed the Time Stone over to Thanos, knowing there would be sacrifices, seeing, what, 14 million eventualities and the one path to defeat Thanos. And then, in No Way Home, he says to Peter, in the great calculus of the multiverse, these five lives of the villains mean nothing compared to the damage not sending them back can do. And right here, this defender, Doctor Strange, turns to her and says, in the great calculus of the multiverse, just repeating that line from No Way Home when he gets stabbed through. Is this movie the anti-Spock? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? It feels like, no, we're going to go against that. Sometimes you got to stand up for the few. Right. But right now we're told this is all a dream. Uh, that our Stephen Strange, 616 Strange, is going to wake up and wipe his brow and say, oh, I just was having a nightmare. And I can now go to my living nightmare of watching, okay, <laughs> let's get into this. The woman that I loved, that it's tearing me up, Christine is walking down the aisle for another man and I can't bear it. The relationships in Marvel movies have rarely worked out well. Hmm. Where's Liv Tyler, Betty from that incredible <laughs> Hulk film? They did bring her back for an episode of What If, by the way. It was not played by Liv, but they did bring back Betty and reenacted scenes from Incredible Hulk with Ruffalo as the voice. Yeah, it, my point is Ed Norton didn't come back from that. They pretend that one didn't even happen. There are Marvel movies that count more than others, and that's not one of them. All right, Jane from the Thor movies. She's coming back. She is, but she's been unceremoniously written off when in Thor 3 they just drop a line that she dumped him. Yeah, no one wanted to see her again. <laughs> I don't think she wanted to do it. And did anyone want to see Rachel McAdams again is what I'm saying. I was shocked that she even came back. Like, really, this is a relationship we need to pick up on? I don't know what you do with Strange otherwise. This is a retcon. We have to say that there is a humanity to him where they haven't done that work before. And yeah, the first tease of this was that what if thing, which again shows that in every universe, the point is he will never have her. And that's what made Doctor Strange. He became the sorcerer because he was denied this love. I didn't get that out of the movie. <laughs> it's nope. just not the movie they gave us. 
That's just not the movie from six years ago. I have to think her coming back is called contractual obligation. I can't imagine that this was something she wanted. Now, from the trailers, I saw her in a wedding gown, and I thought I was seeing her marrying Doctor Strange. The trailers were very misleading to this movie in a good way. Not like they were advertising something that wasn't there, but that, yes, I thought Doctor Strange was getting married in some universe, and I didn't know who our villain was going to be. So when I see this and see she's marrying somebody else, that shocked me. At the same time, like, this is a Disney film. We gotta have our moral. We're gonna have Christine say something like, you can never give someone else the surgeon's knife. I'm like, okay, there's the arc for this. That's fine. Like, they gotta get a little character development in here. I'm just gonna go with it because that's what you got to do. And these aren't deep character reflections most of the time in these Marvel films. So whatever, you got to give them a little flaw to overcome, fine. Yeah, but that's a terrible position to take. I mean, just, you know, what makes a good movie great is when you do care. I could still like a movie where I don't care about the interpersonal relationships, but it's going to be a lesser movie. But you didn't think this was going to be great anyway, Stuart. (laughs) I'm just talking about in general. A movie you really want to watch is one where you're invested in the characters. This is just hitting you over the the head with it though as soon as she's saying that line of you always had to be holding the knife and i could respect you for it but i couldn't love you for it i'm just writing in my notes oh there's the arc (laughs) yeah i literally thought christine was gonna save the day by the end of this film like he was gonna give her the sorcerer power or something yeah but this wedding is also where we get our michael stahlberg scene if you remember him as the not so good surgeon from the first film dr west he's gonna sit there there and ask strange was there a different way i was dusted for five years thanks for asking i lost two cats and a brother <laughs> i can't believe he came back for this one scene <laughs> I, they don't have anything they didn't make a good enough first movie for you to be grateful that these characters are returning and that's just the bottom line it's like yeah maybe you remember this guy and now he's blonde and humbled and yeah in the comedy of him grieving the cats more than his brother i do think there is something pointed in asking asking, did it have to happen? Did the blip and the impact that it had on the entire universe have to go that way? Strange is insistent that it did. He did see 14 million and some odd endings. I mean, maybe he should have looked at one more. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of things not followed up on, I mean, we're going to be dealing with a giant tentacle monster and not Carl Mordo. I mean, in the end of the last movie, we were told the villain for this movie was going to be Chiwetel Ejiofor, no more sorcerers, as he made poor Benjamin Bratt yes! have a broken back again and everything. That's also just dropped like a hot stone. He's in here. Yeah, when Mordo does return, I'm like, wasn't he the bad guy? Like, wasn't that going to be the second film? Strange versus Mordo? I'm surprised you remember him. I again, you guys have watched these movies and paid attention, but, like, I couldn't remember anyone that hung out with Benedict Cumberbatch other than Tilda Swinton, and she's not here. So, that was the only character I missed, honestly. The rest of them don't care if they're here or not, because they made no impression. But I was very excited from the trailers. Shuma Gorath is coming! (laughs) I was like... They apparently they can't use the name Shumagorath anymore. This is now Gargancho or something. Yeah, when I saw this, I forgot about that Street Fighter versus Marvel Capcom game where I guess he is a playable character. I kicked Justin's ass so many times with Shumagorath. <laughs> 
But yeah, when I saw that trailer, I'm like, oh, they're doing like Lovecraft. They're doing Cthulhu because that's what it looked like. Now, Shumagorath, Marvel did take that from a Robert E. Howard story. Robert E. Howard, the creator of Conan the Sumerian, who would later become the Barbarian. But he was a big Lovecraft fan. So I guess there's some rights there, though, because they just straight up like took it from one of his novels. With Raimi here, we're looking for those kinds of influences. We were told horror. So when are they going to bring in the horror? This thing is mostly goofy. I, I would say... Unlike a Lovecraftian monster where you look upon it and you go insane because it's so horrific to contemplate, this feels like a joke, and hate to say it, Marvel, a joke that DC already told last year. Like, this feels like the conclusion to that last Suicide Squad movie. I was wondering how many people are going to think this is a Starro ripoff when Shuma Gorath has been around for decades. I mean, so is Starro in the comics. But yeah, no, my wife is like, oh, didn't we already see that girl Joker fight this guy in one of those DC films. I'm like, yeah, that was Starro. He was a starfish. And same thing, too. The gross out, we got to puncture the eye. Like, that was the whole point. So I I know they're mad. Like, I'm not accusing anyone of theft. Two people can come up with a giant squid with a big eye. (laughs) But it does feel like Marvel had its thunder stolen here in the beginning. By James Gunn. But this also does feel, like you said, very Raimi. It's something I came to appreciate with Raimi, re-watching his Spider-Man films in preparation for No Way Home. Like, again, I usually associate him with Evil Dead, and I liked Evil Dead more than Evil Dead 2, which is the comedic one. Of course, I also like Army of Darkness a lot, which is comedy, but I always associate him with horror. He really leans into camp and that kind of humor. Yeah, a goofy one-eyed tentacle monster. I I could see Raimi having a lot of fun with that, and he did. Yeah, and the plucking out the eye feels so Raimi. Remember in Evil Dead 2 where they pop that eye out of the zombie and there's like the tracking shot on the eye. It kind of felt like they did that here as you see the eye pluck out with all of the sinew behind it. Yeah, I feel like room has been made to accommodate Raimi here. I wouldn't say it feels like a Sam Raimi movie. But I would say that they allow him floor space to care about evil books and what have you. Things that remind us of work that he's done before. And I appreciate those moments. I will say for Marvel, who usually feels very controlled, like, can't have an amazing director like Edgar Wright because we got to control what happens in Ant-Man. I do feel like there's a lot of Raimi in this, especially towards the end. Maybe not this first half, but the second half, I do feel like the director comes through in this one, which is always a surprise with these Marvel films. It happens with James Gunn. It doesn't happen a whole lot of other times, though. I think they've loosened the reins is what it is. They've realized the Marvel formula worked so far, but now if they're going to keep going... They need to branch out in style and substance, and I think maybe these days they'd rethink it and let Edgar Wright do a film, but back then it probably just felt too different. Yeah, you're acting like this is all calculus, too. They were up for a director. They were over a barrel. We don't have Scott Derrickson get this guy in. Oh, wait, what's he doing? I mean, like, sometimes they got a lot of irons in the fire. They may not have known what they had. I mean, they could have got Jane Campy. She worked with Benedict on Power of the Dog. It feels like that's what they did with Black Widow. Like, let's get some artsy director for some reason. Worked so well for Eternals. Yeah. Well, at any rate, talking about this action, scene, it reintroduces America Chavez. We didn't know who she was in the dream sequence. 
I noticed she had a jean jacket that looked like Captain America's uniform, but I'm just going to ask, is she an alternative Captain America? Is that what we're to take here? Yeah, more or less, like in the comic, they stick more or less to her origin stories here. She forms or, or is a member of the Young Avengers. She goes by Miss America, so that definitely draws ties to Captain America. You have Wanda's kids, Hulkling and Wiccan. Like, you have kid Loki, you know, who's a standing in place of like a Thor and all that. So yeah, she's more or less, you know, I, look, the immigrant Mexican who's now Miss America. Like, yes, it, it goes with that whole coastal elitist diversity line that people accuse comics of. I'm not saying that. I mean, that's cynical. I mean, I think that what they're saying is that there are two Americas right now. There's the white guy. We've had several movies with the white straight guy. And now we have, yeah, the teenage girl immigrant with the LGBTQ pin on who speaks Spanish. You know, I think they are acknowledging that there is more than one way to conceive of America. And this is a multiverse. So there's now room for multiculturalism. I love that they've just given up with origin stories and how did you get your powers she was stung by a bee and opened a portal that's all we need to know and for some reason she is special because there's only one of her in all the multiverse whereas everybody else has duplicates i didn't see it that way at all the reason why i'm asking is i wasn't sure whether she was alternative captain america or whether she's an x-men because she feels when we see that story very much like a mutant yeah, no, I mean, she comes from the multiverse and she has powers that she just has for some reason. But that's not like from her planet. Yeah, I think it's a big mystery where she gets up. And the bee didn't give it to her. She got scared. Yeah, it scared her. That cracked me up. Like, that's what's going to get you to use your powers as a bee? To a small child? Have you seen children around bees? That would work. Have you seen me around bees today? That would still work. <laughs> It's obvious enough. We'll we'll see enough examples. She'll say, I can't control my power, that the fear response or a bit a heightened emotionality will cause her to open up little Captain America stars and suddenly, you know, we're looking at a different universe. And she doesn't necessarily want to work with this Doctor Strange because the last one tried to kill her in what Strange thinks is a dream, but is now learning that dreams are, in fact, windows into your multiverse selves. Was that the first Strange she met? She's going to mention she's gone to 72 different worlds. I thought she was always trying to team up with Strange to defeat this thing. Of the two Doctor Stranges I've met, you're my least favorite was the joke. This diner scene where they're having all this exposition, I know they did extensive reshoots for this movie, but this diner scene feels like total reshoot insert material where we're going to reference No Way Home because No Way Home came out before this movie because of COVID and this movie was supposed to come first and we're going to insert humor that we're not going to find anywhere else in this movie, like asking if Spider-Man shoots webs out of his butt and this whole thing just felt like... They shot it so separately from everything else. Well, I'm glad this came out. This would make more sense for this story to happen after No Way Home. Like, why would you give Peter the powers of the multiverse after this? No, this movie, I think, was supposed to fracture the multiverse. Oh, okay. Thus allowing what happened to happen. So they wouldn't have needed that whole spell he cast in No Way Home. Okay. I was wondering that about the changes. It doesn't really matter. I agree. This doesn't feel out of order, but it does feel like the thunder got stolen. We already had a movie to explore two of them, frankly, if you count the animated one, to explore a multiverse. The animated one beat them all to the punch, including having an animated sequence here. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel like this one is trading on lesser bang for the buck because we already know this gimmick. What I was prepared for, and I think I'm not alone in this, is that we thought that this was the kickoff to some new giant storyline, that the multiverse was opening up in a way that would create a new Thanos. And that will prove not to be the case. This is a very close-ended story. Yeah, here's my question. So they're going to figure out that the dead Defender Strange had runes on him, and it's not sorcery, it's witchcraft. Which to me, like, what's the difference? It's all spells? Like, I don't know. I know in the Marvel comic universe, yes, there are different sources for sorcery and witchcraft, but that line just cracked me up. It's not sorcery, it's witchcraft. I'm like, it's all magic. This shocked me because I thought this was a team-up movie. We've had so many of them in the Marvel Universe where it's named after one hero, but they all have a sidekick or something. And I'd seen people saying that they wanted to buy tickets for Scarlet Witch and the Multiverse of Madness, thinking that this was a duo film where they'd both be fighting the multiverse. And so when we see Wanda here alone where we left her at the end of WandaVision and we saw her studying magic and we weren't quite sure what all that meant. Here, she's in an apple orchard. She's apologizing for Westview to Doctor Strange and saying she's left all that magic behind her. And I believe it. I mean, it was in the trailers. Again, those misleading trailers. I thought, we're just going to ignore the WandaVision thing. She's a hero again. I mean, that was WandaVision that she was a hero again. I guess unless she stayed till after the credits and wondered what she was doing with that book or whatever in the Scarlet Witch outfit. But I, I thought her story was resolved. I thought she was over her kids. She had moved on. Bizarre. I get it. it you want to know the full story of her two children. You got to go watch that Disney Plus series. But it feels weird investing all that time and then coming here. Oh, that arc is gone. She's just bad again. I had forgotten that she didn't get to keep the kids. I remember her losing vision. I mean, that was all about the loss of her lover. Vision just flies off. He comes back and then just leaves. Yeah, well, there's that white vision. That's not yeah. really her vision. But she has a goodbye scene where she, you know, so, and I guess the kids were there when the bedroom gets wiped clean. But again, you guys watch these things or pay better attention than I do. I don't remember these storylines. So it's helpful to have this moment where she's tucking the kids in bed and then wakes up and goes, oh, just a dream. Or rather, just a multiverse self that gets to have those kids. And Elizabeth Olsen talked about how she was on the set of WandaVision, finished filming one day, hopped a plane, went over to London, and started filming Multiverse of Madness. I think this works because those kids look the same age as they did in WandaVision. Yeah. I mean, you give a year and kids are going to look very different, but because they filmed this back-to-back, -back, those kids look just like they did in WandaVision. Right. So... Strange has found her in some apple orchard that turns out to be a mirage. And just want to point out, because I'm used to now pruning the background, she's putting apples in crates called Volker. Is that something I should be paying attention to for the future? I mean, that is a name, a surname associated with some characters. We've talked about the Thunderbolts coming back. That's a name that has to do with the Thunderbolts. Or we've talked about with that with that, some of the Disney series. Who are the Thunderbolts? I don't want to spoil it for you, but it's... I think of those marionettes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a team of 
bad guys maybe doing good things. I don't want to spoil it. I don't know what Marvel will do with it, but people have talked about Secret Invasion or Thunderbolts, like, with replacements of the heroes with, you know, like, with US Agent, like, they make up a team later on. So maybe they're dropping hints to that. Okay, so the thing that Elaine is putting together from Seinfeld. Yes, that's right, yeah. There's so much to remember now. <laughs> Possibly connected to Volkers. Okay. Yeah, that seems like a tease that good for the people that care. But for this movie, again, it's surprisingly self-contained. The motivation is really clear cut. I want my kids. <laughs> I want my kids so bad that I learned nothing from what I did in WandaVision. And I'm going to jeopardize the entire multiverse to get them back. Because she has dreams. And like you mentioned, dreams are not manifestations of our brain but it's us seeing ourselves as we exist in the multiverse so somewhere in the multiverse i keep forgetting to wear clothes to school i don't know why <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that tips me off that she's evil i don't know if this is a thing in witch mythology but i have seen gretel and hansel and you notice her fingers are like half black like the witch mm -hmm. in gretel and hansel has that same look with like these half black fingers i don't know what it means it just tells me bad witch though yeah it means when she's twirling her and making those spells in the air that you know they're, they're they're dirty. They're bad. <laughs> and of course, she's holding a copy of this book. The real reason is she got this dark hold, the book of the damned, which is not the book of the dead. We're not talking <laughs> about the Necronomicon. No evil dead direct crossover here. This book was in WandaVision. Yes. I guess. I don't remember. But the point is that she's just hypnotized by a book. It's making her believe that she can have what she wants. And wouldn't Strange want that too? Wouldn't he be tempted? She promises him, if I get the power out of the girl, I'll put you in a reality where you're with Christine. Again, I wish I could care about that. It, so much is now hinging on that chemistry that did not exist. But Strange he finds it easy to resist. And I think this will be a big deal for Marvel comic book fans. I mean, they're, the huge storyline that No More Mutants, where she does change reality. They call out she is strong enough to change reality here. And I guess that's the point of the apple orchard. Is Strange even thinks that's real. He's like, oh, this is an illusion, even though it ends up being one. But they are hinting at how powerful she could really be and the effect that she had in the Marvel universe in the comics. But he kind of knew, because when she hands him the apple blossom, he goes, this almost smells real. And she's like, well, it is real. But I think he kind of knew. It just shocks me how quick they are. We're 25 minutes into this movie. And Scarlet Witch has had maybe five minutes before she's like, I'm the bad guy. I've been sending demons across the multiverse after America, and I won't stop until she's dead and I have her power. I'm the bad one, and I'm going to spend the rest of the movie as one badass witch villain. To which I ask, because I agree, that felt so sudden, and I like Elizabeth Olsen, and she's been portrayed as a hero up to this point. Even in WandaVision, there was a lot of sympathy for her. My thinking was, could there be a puppet master? Could the person that gave her the book turn out to be the guy at the end of the Loki show? I mean, I feel like... They must be trying to lay out a Thanos at some point. Another big bad. It's coming in quantum mania. We gotta wait for an Ant-Man movie to find out who the new bad guy is? But I think that now I look at WandaVision as her turning evil. When we saw her be dangerous 
to others like Monica Rambo and things, I now see that as the precursor. That was the change moment. And then when she couldn't have her Westview and couldn't have her children, that has led her to become what she is. And I'll say she does a great job playing a villain. It was shocking to me. This is the first time in the MCU that we've seen a hero become the big bad, but she plays it really well. Yeah, I mean, I like her speeches and like how she's trying to be reasonable and, you know, monologuing is hard. You're not really supposed to be a bad guy that tells all your plans, but she does it well. I I just wonder that, like, why is it all about the kids? Why not Vision? You know, like, that's what's kind (laughs) of weird is like, does she not care about her husband anymore? Paul Bettany's complete absence here felt notable. Like, in none of the dreams is Vision there. Yeah, agreed. In no universe does she get to keep her human-shaped vibrator. Right. That's why I'm saying don't watch WandaVision. You don't have to. Like, just try to get some context clues from what they drop here. Because it doesn't feel like that's going to make this more satisfactory. It's still a very quick change in character. I have to ask, though, like, does she have a point? Like, Doctor Strange, he did break the rules. He wasn't supposed to mess with time. And he did it. And that made him a hero. She breaks the rules. I think they're going for a subtle, like, thing on gender here. Like, oh, the guy breaks the rules. You're the hero. I do it. I'm seen as this monster just because I'm trying to love my kids. Kids. And that happens in this movie. He's going to break the same rules she does. Yes! And he's still considered the hero. I've found that, I mean, she calls him a hypocrite, and damn if she's not right. But here's the one thing that they slip on. Like, uh, so at the first portion here, it's framed with the idea of I have to kill this teenager in order to get her power. And then much later, almost at the end of the film, it's been said that, like, you could just control her mind and make her do what you want. If you can dreamwalk, you could probably control her. And she says, I want to take her power so I can then use it to protect my kids from any threat in the multiverse forever. Which, not buying it. I just feel like the motive here is pretty thin. Not only is it a replay of the TV show, but it's not even consistent. And I take it for the thin premise it is. Like, she wants to be with her kids. You're right, Stuart. This isn't a great film, so I'm not going to look more into it. Like, she wants to be with her kids. She wants to be able to go to any universe and see them. Whatever. She wants that power. Okay. Remember, they said the Darkhold corrupted her. I take it she wants the power to see her kids, but she also wants the power. But... You know what? I thought they were going to hedge their bets. I thought they were making her a bad guy. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. But she's not going to be really bad. And then comes the Battle of Comitage. (laughs) I'm like, wow. They have complete armaments and shields and people are coming from London and Hong Kong to help defend America. Not just from around the world. They got Rintra, the green Minotaur bull, like from another planet here. Like my wife got super excited. I'm like, okay, I know the next Funko Pop you're buying. (laughs) I have no idea what that is. And yet it just rolled with a green Minotaur hanging out at (laughs) Comertosh. I thought I might have seen him in Shang-Chi, to be quite honest. I'm like, I I think he's one of them Shang-Chi assholes. I thought it might be a crossover, but I had to look it up. No, it is a (laughs) Doctor Strange character. Okay. He was cute. I'll give you that. He stood out. He had personality. No, every time he's on screen, my wife loved the film. Like, for those few seconds. (laughs) Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, she's going to slaughter people here. And in case you didn't get it, they're going to give you close-ups. And my fanboy audience on Friday night applauding the Marvel logo, applauding when Cumberbatch comes on screen, applauding when Wong comes on screen, applauding when Scarlet Witch comes on screen, suddenly dead silence in the theater. They're like, what the hell have you done? What is going on here? The floor fell out from underneath them that these heroes they expected to see fighting together, she is now a mass murderer. I'm not convinced that we won't find out that there isn't a bigger bad behind her and this whole thing and that she'll find a way to be exonerated from this. I think Disney will want to walk some of this back. But just look within the context of this movie. Yes, it's shocking. I think they show that with Xavier later on, that like she is not really in control. It is this dark hold that is controlling her. But I like this scene. Like, yeah, maybe because we're seeing sorcerers die and it feels like the stakes are higher than we've seen before. Yeah, you can have Terry die, but like these are humans and a Minotaur, I guess. But I think he lives. Maybe she resurrects some people, I think, at the, to get some information. I'm not 100% sure what's going on. All right. So here's the thing. Yeah, exactly. So if you watch the end of this movie, it looks like everybody's there. Like she does this thing where she gets in the head of a fake Kit Harrington and makes him run away. <laughs> and then she starts like lamb blasting like magic cannons and what have you. And there's this shot. I For the second time, I turned over and looked at the eight-year-old girl and she looked at her father and was like what the like there's a man crawling on the ground like a wizard (laughs) and she's flying down and he chars and burns up to a crisp like that guy is dead so some of these people will be here fake kit harrington is at the end the minotaur we see him get tortured in the air i don't know if he was in that last shot or not but some of these people are dead dead yeah that's the thing is some were just knocked out or wounded those are the ones she tortures but yes there are a lot of dead dead here and if you if you wonder if this is gi joe if you wonder if everybody just escaped the blast and was able to crawl away that's why they give you that close-up of the one guy getting completely turned into red dust and the other one burned to a crisp it's She is killing people. If you didn't know that she was going to be the big bad 30 minutes into this film, she is there and ready to kill Strange, ready to kill whoever she needs to. And yet, we're going to get a little bit of a callback to the first film with that mirror universe. Strange is like, you have to come through me, and he's going to try to trap her in the mirror universe. Well, this is where she straight up becomes a J-horror monster. Like, she ends up coming out of a gong in a way that would make the Samara coming out of the TV proud. Like, yeah, they have this whole thing about she just uses it. Oh, you trap me in a mirror and suddenly I can come through puddles. Yeah, no, I this stuff is great. Again, is it scary for me as an adult? No, but it's creepy. It feels different for a MCU film. It feels appropriate for a Doctor Strange one, though. Like, yes. yeah, to have these weird... I mean, I, I think this is what you're complaining about with the first one, Stuart. Yes. You didn't have enough of this stuff. Or any of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. let me reemphasize, and, and if it sounds like I'm being too hard on this movie, I think this movie's pretty pedestrian in its plotting, but this is an edge that that first movie didn't have that cuts a little. Yeah, it's not going to scare you. It's not a horror movie, but it has an edge that'll make you stand back and go, huh, 
okay, I feel a little bit more on edge, a little bit more off balance because of the choices that are being made. Yeah, I, I was surprised Raimi got to be so Raimi with the whip pans and the canted angles that we're getting around here and all of it. I mean, this feels more Raimi than the Spider-Man films did with the exception of that Dr. Octopus surgery scene. This feels like he's gone back to the Army of Darkness days. Right. And so we get act two is basically Strange gets away with America. She's scared. She opens up a star portal. They run through several worlds and see dinosaurs and pipes and- They turn into paint. (laughs) Yeah. Become paint for a second there. They become cartoons and there's like cartoon music playing. Was that a step too far? I often wonder if Raimi takes that step too far. I wondered if the cartoon was it. Read my mini review of Dark Man in the book. Like, that's a film where I feel like he does take it too far at times. But for this, it's a multiverse. I don't know. I thought we were going to spend more time, like, traveling through the multiverse. This feels, again, Spider-Verse got here before they did. But you get this fun little montage. And then we're going to spend most of our time just in one other universe. A little bit of a disappointment. Maybe like Eternals, this should have been a Disney Plus show instead of a movie where you could go around and have a lot of fun in these different universes. It was a Disney Plus show. It's called... Loki, and this is written actually by the same screenwriter. Michael Waldron created Loki, and if you feel like there's similar ideas here with like a team that's supposed to clean up the timelines and prevent the blurring and all of that, it's because he was already making that show. Yeah, I agree with you, Jacob, that they only go to one other universe for the majority of this movie is a letdown. I wanted them to really traverse the multiverse of madness, not just go to one other universe. It would be a much more complicated film if they went to multiples, but they just go to the one that has Bruce Campbell selling hot dogs. No, he's selling pizza balls, isn't he? Pizza balls, that's right. Yeah, he's the Pizza Papa, which I missed at first that it was Bruce Campbell because I'm like writing down Pizza Papa. I got to look that up. Got to see where that comic book (laughs) character shows up. It isn't one. And then I realized, oh, they're spending so much time because that's Bruce Campbell. Yes, it's a Sam Raimi movie. Again, these are the indulgences I talk about. Could they have cut this out of the movie? Absolutely. But if Sam Raimi's here, we're going to let him work this little tidbit in here. Are pizza balls a thing? I'm a big Eric Andre fan, and he has a whole skit where he he's trying to deliver a pizza ball to a karate school. It's quite funny, but I've never actually seen real pizza balls you could eat. I'm not an Eric Andre fan, but I am a pizza fan, and I've never seen a pizza ball. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't put it past him. And there's pizza ice cream, so there can be pizza balls. Ooh. But yeah, Bruce Campbell punching himself and everything, kind of hearkening back to Evil Dead 2, and he's going to get a joke later on. But man, it made me feel old to see Bruce Campbell looking so old, and Marjorie said the same thing to me. He's looking old, yeah. (laughs) I saw him at a con a couple years ago. I met him and Sam Raimi at a convention, and he didn't look that old at the convention, but here he's looking like age suddenly hit him. Only the older people in the audience were laughing at this bit. Uh, You could tell who the Sam Raimi fans were because of the response in the audience both times. If Stan Lee was still alive, do you think Raimi would have had a fought to get Bruce Campbell this cameo instead of Stan Lee? They'd have to put him somewhere else. Yeah, he'd be somewhere here in alternative New York of the 838 universe. That's where they land. And you're right. They could have gone lots of different places. I don't even think they cause a problem. What's so weird is that they're going to be like strung up and lynched for creating an incursion, I don't see that they do anything. It's all about past crimes, about versions of themselves we never met. 
they know how a different Doctor Strange was corrupted and they're worried about this one doing the same thing. Right. But just being in this universe is enough to cause an incursion is what they're saying. I do love it. They treat them like astronauts. We got to put you in quarantine, see if you have any germs. They say that. No, but it's not like a timeline. It's not like a timeline where they need a virgence. What they're saying is if a being from one reality is in another reality too long, that causes the incursion, which will destroy one or both of the realities. I mean, again, it is the same thing as Loki. This is uh, redundancy that we have people trying to clean this up at the same time that others are cleaning up timelines. You just made me think, maybe an incursion is when the TVA comes to clean up the timeline. (laughs) You know, again, it's same writer, and he didn't have another idea, so he just said, this is the idea. It worked better in Loki. I'm just going to go ahead and say, it was more fun in Loki. We saw it a year earlier, and they had more time to play with it. He may have written this first, though, because it takes longer to do a movie than it does a TV show. I don't know, how long does it take you to do the most clumsiest exposition by accidentally stepping on a memory portal thing, which is just going <laughs> to show like your inner deepest, most memorable event in your life? Yes. That was bad. That was really bad, especially since I don't know if you guys watched the show Upload on Amazon. No. <laughs> The first season's really good. The second season's okay. But they did the exact same thing where there's like a hair salon where they put the blow dryer on your head and you can relive memories from your past. I'm like, I just saw this a few weeks ago on Upload. I know this was probably filmed first, but I saw it there first. So this loses an impact. And I don't need to see Strange being given the watch by Christine. But I guess audiences who may not have seen the first film do need to see the origin of that broken watch that we got to close above in the first scene and we're also going to see america comes from a lesbian couple and that's where her first powers were used we see the b scene no release in saudi arabia for you because they wouldn't cut that three second clip one thing that it does where it may matter is these moms are not dead to her, she killed them because she opened up a portal and they fell away and she's never seen them again. But these could be characters that we could meet later. These could be even be characters we've already met. Yeah, to be found in a Disney Plus series where America goes through the multiverse. You've read my mind. She feels built for a Disney Plus. I mean, they're doing Ms. Marvel, which is a teenage girl, too. She doesn't feel like she could carry a movie. Yeah, I mean, her only credit up to this point is a Netflix series of The Babysitter's Club. Like, yeah, yeah she didn't watch that one. <laughs> yeah, she's not ready for the total stardom. She is the MacGuffin they're passing around in this movie. She's not an equal to Strange. She doesn't really get a storyline. As you say, she walks on memory lane, and this is the only thing we find out about her. That and the fact that every multiverse she's gone to, there's no her there. There are other versions of everybody else. Strange is looking for the Strange of 838, but she does not exist anywhere, and she does not dream. So she is this special one-of-a-kind snowflake. And we know something's up in the 838 because Pizza Papa accuses Strange of stealing his outfit from a museum. Right. And so when he gets to the Sanctorum, we will find out that this Strange died, or at least the cover story is, he sacrificed himself for Thanos, bringing up the pain of 
maybe the choice of giving him the time stone and reminding that it didn't have to be that way. That in other universes, he would be a martyr hero for fighting Thanos. And this is where we finally see Baron Mordo, not the one who has threatened no more sorcerers, but the one who considers Doctor Strange a brother and hugs Strange and invites him in to give him some poison tea. Yeah, it tells them the Darkhold is in the Sanctum. They need that, I guess, to beat Wanda. And yeah, that drug tea, now they're in quarantine. And some more clumsy exposition about what dreamwalking is that... Oh yeah, it's the most evil thing ever. Yeah. Oh, you mean there's a multiverse threat? She doesn't need to send monsters. She could dreamwalk. She could take control of the Wanda in our universe. Really? Thank you for telling us that one scene before she does (laughs) it. I mean, all right, this movie has big flaws with its storytelling. And yeah, the way they just thud this stuff out. It was like, we're going to explain something. You'll see it the next scene. We're going to explain something else. You're going to see it the next scene. That is a skill. I mean, I don't think that's wrong. You can see many great movies that do that, but you don't want it to be obvious. You don't want to be able to see the seams. You don't want to see the sewing and the threads. You want that to feel effortless. And a well-made production, those kinds of things are disguised. Whereas here, I think the reason why we can see them is there's not a whole lot happening. Honestly, this is a movie where people walk around and get data dumps. There's just not a lot of fighting. There's not a lot of conflict. It's weird that for how, okay, we're going to say something and then pay it off in the next scene. They set up that Doctor Strange's cape got torn, and I guess that's a problem for some reason, and 838, Christine's going to have to fix it. I don't know what that does. Like, I felt like, oh, they're going to really do something with, I call him Capey. I don't know if the cape has a name, but he acts like a character. But yeah, for, for every time they quickly pay something off, like, there are some threads where it's just like, was this a leftover from Derrickson's script? Like, what's going on? Well, Well, first of all, it is not a cape. It is a cloak. (laughs) Sorry. Cloaky does not sound as good as capey. The name is the Cloak of Levitation. But you're right. It is so anthropomorphized, you would think that it would have an actual name. That it would would be a sidekick at this point. Who needs the teenage kid? Yes. The Scrappy-Doo is this, yeah, vestment flying around. Truly Scrappy-Doo. Like, I wish they'd stop doing this with the cape. I hate it. Yeah, right. When he was knocked out earlier during the fight with the squid. I thought the cape was going to ride that motorcycle earlier on when it it got, we see Scarlet Witch like throw a motorcycle at him. I'm like, he's going to ride it. I would have loved Capey at that moment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's slapping the guy awake when he gets knocked out and what have you. I think you've got to recognize that Marvel is supposed to appeal to all ages. And this is where the under 10 year olds are going to love. It. It's just a difference in maturity, frankly. Like, adults don't want to see a movie about a man in his cape, but kids do. The cape is the number one reason my wife hates Dr. Strange. Well, number one reason it's also Benedict Cumberbatch, but number two was that cape. She's like, I never want to see that cape again. She hates it every time it comes alive. I think that Dr. Strange, let's just call it out. Dr. Strange has a problem with friends. He himself (laughs) is not very likable, and all of his companions are not filling in the void. I don't like anyone he's associated with. Maybe Tilda Swinton, and that has more to do with the fact that I like like Tilda Swinton in other (laughs) movies than what she was as the ancient one. I'm not necessarily missing her here, but I do feel like, yeah, we have a semi-unlikable main character and no support. So let's go to the character that I do like, because again, Elizabeth Olsen was a real asset in WandaVision. She was great on that show, that she's doing this encore in this movie. I don't know if it's great, but it's 
believable. I buy it. She feels scary. And when she loses the Darkhold book, there's a random sorceress woman that runs in and ashes herself to stab it. She's got to come up with a new plan to cast the spells because she can't remember it. She has to... You have to have the item, I guess, to do it. (laughs) Okay. All right. That was my question. Like, does she need the talisman or can she just not... Because I can't remember shit either. Like, I'm not... No fault on her if she can't remember a spell. I don't remember my name sometimes. I don't know. If you're like the most powerful witch, you should remember a spell or two. Like Harry (laughs) Potter remembers some spells. Yeah. Maybe that's because they went to school to learn them all. Right. I feel like it's within her cognition. If she's learned dreamwalking, she could probably file that away and pull it out at any time. But she needs to be around the inscriptment of it. And if not in book form, then she's got to go to the temple where the book was transcribed on top of Mount whatever the hell. Uh, one one de Gore, does this matter? No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was like, are they saying something I should yes. know? I mean, I l- always look to you guys. Uh, I was expecting a long exposition about how, yes, this is where Captain America got his helmet and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I, okay. No. All right, <laughs> moving on. That's fine. So it gives Wong something to do. He's been strung up. He was captured. He was one of the few people that wasn't killed in the Comertage siege. And now he has agreed, I think, to spare the life of the Minotaur and the six other people <laughs> that are alive, fake Kit Harrington. He's going to fly her there and witness her becoming a goddess. And this is interesting. This temple is actually devoted to her. And I think Wong says at some point that it was prophesied she would always rule at least this universe and maybe the multiverse. The Scarlet Witch was. They talked about that a little bit at the end of WandaVision when Agatha is like, you are the Scarlet Witch, you are prophesized to destroy. But yeah, this is a temple to her, the four beasties there kneel before her. There's a big inscription of a woman who could be her on the wall. Got the same tiara anyway. (laughs) Those monsters were a good jump scare. I wasn't expecting that. Something about the 3D and all of that worked when they popped up. Yeah, she's got minions, she's got a temple, it's not a tomb, she's ready to take over. And so, again, it's just kind of disappointing that the only thing she has on her agenda, she even says, like, everyone wants me to take over everything, but I just want my kids. I'm like, thinking too small is a problem (laughs) with this movie. Yeah, I mean, just go find Vision and make those kids. Yeah. Can't you make a spell again to create them? Like, do you have to terrorize a teenage girl and actually grab other alternative versions of fake kids? I just... I mean, again, it is the Necromonicon. She's been taken over by an evil book. That's the level you have to accept it at. You're right. I have to keep reminding myself of that. She's possessed. This is a Sam Raimi movie. She's possessed. She's a deadite. And she knocks Wong off the ledge. Like, she, like, once, like, you know, he tries to challenge these notions, she sends him overboard, and he isn't fast enough with his magic lasso. I think he falls a long way and just doesn't die. He just, like, lands on a ledge. And yeah. <laughs> He's Sorcerer Supreme now, so he doesn't die. <laughs> Right. Because we didn't see him die and because of how it was filmed and how it was played, I didn't think he was dead. But I did wonder if they'd kill him in this movie. I mean, to pave a way for Doctor Strange becoming the Sorcerer Supreme, I kind of thought that to really sell us on her evil, she might kill Wong at some point in this film. But no, Wong will live to torment Strange in yet another film. She's going to kill some beloved heroes, but from a different universe, so we could still like her. 
Yeah, and that's where the fun for me kind of is, is when Doctor Strange wakes up in the other universe, first we have to have the reunion with Christine, which does feel a little obligatory, but it explained to me why Rachel McAdams would come back. Because you, I don't know that you could get her just to do the wedding scene, but you tell her there's going to be something for her to do, she's going to be semi-heroic and get to take part in the action. Here we get introduced to that universe's Christine. And she loves her Doctor Strange, they couldn't make it work, but she wears the broken watch. Yeah, the idea is, and again, the what if supports this, in all multiverse universes, they never get together. And that part of that polarization is what drives Strange to be a good superhero. I think that's what we're to infer. But yes, Mordo blows in with some Ultron bots and says, <laughs> you got to go see the Illuminati. I was out by this point. I don't think I had taken a note for quite some time. And then all of a sudden, wah! Captain Carter, wah! Reed Richards. I'm like, really? My audience was back too. They needed a cheer moment after seeing Scarlet Witch slaughter people. And so Captain Carter actually got the biggest cheer of them all. I think they all knew in that audience Professor X was showing up, but Captain Carter got the cheer. Mm-hmm. I have to ask, Stuart, I guess maybe it was spoiled because you were woken up by people cheering. Maybe you missed the reference to Illuminati, but what did you think they were going to who they were going to meet when they said Illuminati because I knew what that meant. I saw that in the trailer. I'm like, are they really going to do the Illuminati? They're really going to have like Namor and are they going to bring back Robert Downey Jr. to play Iron Man? Those are the two they write out and switch characters with, but I knew like these were the smartest men in the Marvel Universe who try to control things, but Stuart, did you feel like whoever's uh, backing the the UN was going to show up? Whoever the Illuminati is. No, I mean, you say the Illuminati, and I think about, like, monks in robes that control the universe. You know, like, that is a popular urban legend. Call it what you will. It's been with us a long time that there is a secret order of things that really controls things. We saw in Loki, it was that guy in the floating house who may turn up to be a villain. I thought he was going to turn up in this movie. So I thought we were getting to the big bad that may be controlling which. Like, I again, I was, and still am not capable of saying that Elizabeth Olsen's character is all at fault here. I'm looking for someone that made her this way. And I thought the Illuminati sounded like a dangerous force. So this Illuminati... We've got Captain Carter, Haley Atwell coming back. If you didn't see it in the TV spot, she was at the premiere giving an idea. Baron Mordo is on there. And then as they get introduced, we get a Captain Marvel who is the other woman who you might remember from the Captain Marvel movie. Nobody cared. Yeah. (laughs) No applause for her or the other guy with the fork on his head. Anson Mount. Black Bolt? The Inhumans? Like that. Forget John Krasinski. Forget Patrick Stewart. Forget Captain Carter. That's when I got excited. I'm like, Black Bolt? We're legitimizing the Inhumans? Are we (laughs) delegitimizing them? Maybe they never existed in the 616. Did you catch it's the same actor? They brought Anson Mount back from that Inhumans movie we watched in IMAX? That's what blew me away. And put him in the costume? I didn't remember him from this movie. 
I learned this after I went and Googled. Like, oh, I'm like, oh, he was in that. All I remember about Inhumans was a giant dog and a hair with a bad <laughs> attitude. That's it. That's all I could have told you. I could not believe they did the Inhumans. Like, I and yes, Arnie, I went to IMDb afterwards. I'm like, oh my gosh, same actor. Can't believe they did it. Well, why wouldn't you get the same actor? They're trying to legitimize the show. They're now saying you have to go watch that season of television. No. No, you don't. This is another universe. You don't have to watch them. <laughs> They definitely are. They've legitimized it and said, you ignored us and we refuse to be ignored. He's going to blow his own brains out. You don't have to watch it. No, no, no. Kevin Feige hates that show. Kevin Feige never wanted that show to be made. You made that clear, but I'm telling you, Marvel wants you to consume all their properties. All of them. No. No, what I'm telling you here is this is Kevin Feige saying that show sucks. And this is what we're going to do to it. This is poking fun at that awful show, not legitimizing it. It works as both. It means that everyone that watches this wants to know who this is, and if they do the Google, they will go back and find the show they missed. Well, okay, if you're out there and you want to find the show you missed, don't find it. Don't watch Inhumans. It's super bad. Didn't watch the rest of the TV show, but you don't need to see it. Oh my God. Oh my God. It is so bad. It may be the worst thing with the Marvel logo on it since 2008. I mean, seriously, that awful. Oh, easily. Easily. And then it kind of pisses me off. You know they're making the Fantastic Four movie. John Watts, director of the Spider-Man trilogy, just stepped down from directing it, but they're getting really ready to make it as part of this phase four. And all the fan casting, all the fans are out there like, you know who we need to play Mr. Fantastic is John Krasinski. I've seen people do Photoshop mock-ups. This is why it shocked me. I'm like, oh, is this just to like thumb their nose at the fans that are demanding this? Or is he really going to play it? Why do you think it's thumbing the nose? This is validating them. This is saying, yes, we'll do what you like. We may not do it for the real movie. Just because he's here doesn't mean that he's the guy in the movie, right? Right. That's what I'm saying is because he's here, I think this means he's not going to be the guy in the movie. And that kind of pisses me off because he's so good here. They give him most of the dialogue, you'll notice. So good here. I mean... All right. He's just reading lines. <laughs> he sits in a chair and complains. I mean, nobody's really good in this scene. I think he's good in this scene. And again, they give him most of the lines there. We don't see Captain Marvel talking a lot about what's going on. And I like the line. He's part of the Fantastic Four. Didn't you guys have a hit, a one hit in the 60s? I mean, made me wonder which came first, the Fantastic Four or the Fab Four? <laughs> They did hint that he might show up because they called this the Baxter Foundation because Stream drops that line earlier. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a Fantastic Four thing. I think that they probably will go with Krasinski. My guess is that even though you can be different in different universes, they're having the same actors play them. So I think that they've told us what they're going to do, at least in terms of the head of the team. Yeah, I guess because we do have Haley Atwell here and because we do have other Doctor Stranges that are played by Cumberbatch, maybe we could have John Krasinski back. I don't know if we could after this. He makes himself look like quite a foon. But before that, we do get rolling in here, coming off screen, the last one to come in, Patrick Stewart. Bringing down the house. He's just going to spend his twilight years playing characters he played decades ago. Yeah, he's doing Picard. They de-aged him here, though, right? Like, Picard, he looks old. 
No, he looked old here. He looked oh, okay. Yeah, no. Have you seen like they make these? They kind of call them showers, but they're like these tubs for old people that yes. uh-huh, <laughs> don't want to like stand up anymore. Like they roll him out in one of those that's yellow. I'm like, holy shit! I mean, it's supposed to look like the comic. That is straight from the animated series. Yeah. Oh. The yellow hovering wheelchair straight from the anime series. And when he comes out, you hear they play the 1992 X-Men cartoon theme as he comes out. So this isn't like the X-Men Fox movies, Professor X. This is the animated series, Professor X. I wish they would have animated him. That would have been really funny. It does Patrick Stewart no favors to come out in a little rascal and do this (laughs) moment. But you know what? People were happy to see him. That's the way I look at the scene. It really doesn't accomplish much of anything other than it just lets you know that the official version that Doctor Strange was a hero is a lie. They had to execute him because he did something. And again, it's really nebulous what he did, but he messed with the multiverse. He created something called an incursion and they just straight up had, had a, what's his name? Black Bolt. Black Bolt. He's got to go, sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Black Bolt. Okay. I didn't even get his name. I didn't know what this guy was, but yes, he can speak in his tuning fork, turns into a weapon. Didn't they call him like Blackius Boltus or something? thing it was like he does have a more elaborate name and black bolt is the (laughs) nickname yes but the point is strange was executed before and they want to do it again and probably would have if elizabeth olsen didn't blow in as scarlet witch and here we get the illuminati versus scarlet witch and this is where i think mr fantastic looks like a buffoon (laughs) is you know heroes have to try to talk the villain down you can't just come in and assassinate the villain or it's not heroic but he's like black bolts could just kill you with one whisper from his mouth and give away your best weapon why don't you and I thought this moment was so cringe when Black Bolt (laughs) loses his mouth and then tries to scream and his brain implodes. I was like, oh my God, that is so embarrassing for Black (laughs) Bolt. But then I realized this is just Raimi's sense of humor. This is what he loves to do. This is this movie's Peter Parker dance. And look, who doesn't want to see Black Bolt's brains blown out after having watched that Inhumans film? I I was cheering. (laughs) Here's the thing. When that moment happens, both times the audience audibly gasps. Yes. Like... It is, because of the way it dents in, there's no blood, but it feels like the second most violent thing in this movie. The eyeball, I think, still wins as the goriest thing. But yes, that eight-year-old girl next to me is just, like, reeling in her seat when that head (laughs) dents in. And it doesn't stop there. Like, we'll just keep going, and Mr. Fantastic is turned into spaghetti, and... When Captain Carter gets cut in half by her own shield, I couldn't believe that. Cut in half. Yeah, that one's... I thought when you said that Black Bolt was number two, I thought you might say Captain Carter with that shield just dripping blood. Now, the blood isn't bright red, but it's got a lot of blood coming off of it. But by that point, we knew she was going to kill them all. Like, I mean, the shock is that we didn't think that she was going to kill anybody. Black Bolt's head denting in is like gloves are off. Then it becomes its own kind of fun of like, ooh, I want to see them all go down. Take out this Maria <laughs> chick no one likes. She only gets a statue knocked on her, so. I, yeah, Captain Marvel, the most overpowered superhero in the MCU, and she gets defeated by a statue? You know, I was thinking about this. I've often complained Captain Marvel was too powerful, but 
looking back at Infinity War, Scarlet Witch is as powerful, if not more powerful. And so when you see Scarlet Witch versus Thanos, that's the one time Thanos like shows fear in that movie. Yes, Captain Marvel can stand up to one of his punches, but Scarlet Witch is a very dangerous one in her own right. And so it was nice to know Captain Marvel could be felled by another hero, or in this case, villain, with Scarlet Witch doing it, even if it's not the real Captain Marvel, because you'd have to pay Brie more. And one of the behind-the-scenes conversations we're having with now playing crew is like, okay, it's Sam Raimi, is this going to be scary? Will Brock be able to take his 10-year-old? Will Jason be able to take his girl to this? Like, how was the 8-year-old reacting to this? Because when I got to this point, in my opinion was, I'm like, I don't care if it's Raimi, it's not going to be scary for kids. Like, it's a Marvel film. But now, like, people getting cut in half and heads blown off like was that eight-year-old like turning away from the screen briefly but again i think really she turned to her father to almost in a silent asking of permission of will you let me watch this (laughs) and then when she realized that she was being given something forbidden something she was seeing things she probably normally wouldn't be permitted to see there was a big smile on her face i think she was enjoying (laughs) you know just as i would have been like wow this one feels I'm enjoying it as a middle-aged man, so... (laughs) Yeah, this one feels more dangerous, and I can appreciate the difference. Yeah, don't overprotect your kids. Some of my favorite memories of movies as a kid are the ones that scared me, like Indiana Jones. Yeah, I saw a Nazi's face melt in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Nothing has ever traumatized me more than that. Yeah, so this is no guy peeling his face off in Poltergeist. (laughs) Absolutely not. But no, I do like that this is a brutal scene. And again, Raimi doing Raimi. And even Professor X is going to go. He comes in last and he looks really silly with that point he does pointing at the screen. And they're giving him the when he touches his head. Never done in any X-Men movie. You get to see like the ripples coming out of his head like you did in the cartoon and in the comic book and he goes into Wanda's head and she snaps his neck that's the most in my mind brutal that was like a shock yeah yeah he almost rescues her inner Wanda because keep in mind that why we're supposed to be so mortified on top of the killing and all of that is that we're supposed to see that it's this really violation that she has possessed her other self and that poor Wanda is trapped in rubble wanting to get out and return to her kids while the Scarlet Witch it's why I think we're supposed to have empathy with Elizabeth Olsen is that she's also her own victim and and they dramatize that in this moment Patrick Stewart dressed in like Steve Jobs like black turtleneck and all (laughs) coming into this white room to pull her out of rubble walking without the assistance of a wheelchair and then all of a sudden red smoke blows in and as you say a neck break that is yeah pure evil dead like it just lets you know that Raimi takes a lot of delight in being able to shock us this way. I think he probably takes delight in killing our heroes right I mean that's his kind of humor again coming out he's got a strange sense of humor but if you've watched his films you know it and you recognize it and I gotta say what they've done to Wanda now is like a combination between a deadite and Carrie with that blood streak down her face and everything I took it as motor oil because she fights some of those Ultron bots my reference was like I feel like when she's chasing them later on it feels like Terminator from that first film when he's just the exoskeleton because she's just walking <laughs> she's got the oil on her face it also feels a little like alien because she's they're going through these like sewers or something and she's just pursuing them it, it's got a good horror vibe to it. 
I saw a different movie, but I saw what you're saying. I saw Carrie chasing them like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Mm. She's got a limp. Yeah. You'll see her step on some broken glass, and then she's moving, you know, like instead of a hedge maze, they're going underneath a river in some tunnels or something like that. It's America, Christine, and Strange. Just want to point out, we're like itching to go on. Who we thought was the villain of this movie is left twiddling his thumbs. Mordo, like, had a sword fight. <laughs> (laughs) where he was going to take out Strange and I don't know, got left in some like tight, narrow alley and couldn't get out and will disappear from this film entirely. Like, didn't get resolved in the first movie, not resolved here. Didn't even matter enough to get killed by Scarlet Witch. Stuart really wants a Mordo movie. You know, no, they told us that's what the movie would be. I know they told us, but did you want that? No, I, I think that, again, it's the same problem that Strange has with all of his friends and enemies. He doesn't have a good posse. Like, you want him to have better friends than he does. And yeah, this is a villain we never want to see return, but I guess he could. Anyway, yes, back to The Shining. Yeah, she chases him to some doorway that opens because of the watch? I didn't understand this part. That was the key, yeah. He he was trying to use his magic, trying to figure it out, but Christine, she knew. That 838 Christine knew. That watch is the key because that's the symbol of his broken heart. It's the other Doctor Strange who made this portal into the area between multiverses where there's a Book of the Damned, a Darkhold in every universe, but in all the universes there is but one Book of the Good, Book of Vishanti. And Strange made this door with a lock, and yeah, the way to unlock the door is the way to unlock his heart. I was like, the first time I watched this, I'm like, did Strange drop his watch? Why does Christine suddenly have the watch we saw Doctor Strange put on in scene one? On my second viewing, I see Christine taking it off her own wrist, and I'm like, oh, okay, that that makes sense why she has it now, but I was a little bit confused. And so this is bizarre to me because the watch to me is a symbol of the injury that Strange sustained. It's not a symbol of their enduring love. She gave it to him at a dinner and then they broke up. Like, okay, that's not what that means. It was an idea that his hands were broken and he didn't think he could be repaired. And now he's learned through magic how to do that. I just, they've changed the metaphor and I think it's weird. But yet he always kept that watch. He lost everything in that first movie. Yeah, as a symbol of what he did to better himself. I mean, we see him selling his watches off for experimental surgeries. This is the one he keeps, I assume, because it's from Christine. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what I took, too. No, because it was in the accident that reminded him what he went through. Had nothing to do with Christine. That was not in the first film. Fine. You don't like the first film. We don't have to go back. It's a new symbol. (laughs) It's a symbol of his love for her. I get it. Whatever. It's a key. Let's get to the next set piece. I like that we're back in this area where the movie started, where they're jumping platform to platform. Because the 3D is good again? It is. It's also just a great visual. I mean, that's the thing the first Strange gave was good visuals. These are the best it gets in the second movie. And Strange gets the Book of Vishanti. He's everything saved. He doesn't hold that book for 30 seconds before Wanda shows up and burns <laughs> it. Yeah, so there's no Darkhold. There's no Vishanti. There's no... No, there's still a Darkhold. There's a Darkhold in every universe. Yeah, well, the one got destroyed. Yeah. I mean, that was the reason yeah. why... Yeah, in 616, that was the reason why they went to the temple. 
but I guess you're right. We were going to find out that they get thrown into a world. We don't have a number for it. But Christine and Strange, a star portal opens up. They get thrown inside. And now they're like in a snowy New York where cars are floating and whirlwinds are going down the street. I want to know what that red streak is. Is that Ezra Miller in this universe? <laughs> the what, what is going on? What are you talking about? On the streets is this red streak just going up and down streets. And I'm like, is that the Flash? <laughs> what is going up and down these streets? And maybe it's Speedball, the Marvel Universe's version. Cocaine? <laughs> I mean, that's a name. But this is where it starts clicking when you tell me this is the same writer as Loki, Stewart, because th this is that void or whatever at the end of time, right? My wife even said, didn't I see this in Loki? Is this the same place? Same scene. Yeah, so, I mean, yes, let's. it's the Sanctum Sanctorum of this universe that has been corrupted. It's become this haunted house, and we'll meet a, I don't know, what do we want to call him? Self-hating strange? A strange who has decided to, because he can never have Christine, he's going to go and murder all of his bad lover selves, pushing them off. Those falling dreams you have, that's your other selves murdering you for your faults, apparently. Yeah, this one is, I think Benedict Cumberbatch does a pretty decent job here, although the monologue about my dead sister maybe didn't need no. to be there, about like, <laughs> prove that you are Doctor Strange. Oh, we had a sister who died when we were kids, but we don't talk about that, mainly because you don't deliver the dialogue about it very well. I mean, they, they're trying to create a symmetry between early childhood loss with, in his past and America. Believe it or not, that someone is working behind the scenes to make you care about America, even though she's barely factored into this movie. But this Doctor Strange does carry the dark home on his belt like a lightsaber, and he's all pale and has long fingernails, so you could tell just by his appearance that this is going to be an evil Doctor Strange. And we're going to get, hands down, the weirdest fight <laughs> in Marvel history. Oh, I love it. Where Doctor Strange... He hits his hand on a piano, and the musical notes that come out become weaponized. I don't know if I love or hate this. Like, the first thing I wrote down, <laughs> Fantasia. It is so Raimi. I'll just write it off as that. Like, I don't know. I'll have to see it again how it works. I was just so, like, what am I watching right now as we're throwing musical notes at each other, and it's making music, and uh and it's doing the Dracula. Da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da-da. I love how the one note from the harp causes the big explosion. They're like that final, <laughs> bling! I mean, I saw that coming. Yeah, he plucks the, the little high note. and <laughs> Oh, of course. This feels like a Looney Tunes. I'm with you, Jacob. I don't know if I love this or hate this, but it is all Raimi, and so I go with it. And I want to call out Danny Elfman, Mr. I'll Never Work With Sam Raimi Again, here doing the score again. And yeah, I like the score a lot. Some of it's pretty rote, modern Elfman, but there's some electric guitar strings that get going here, a little Oingo yeah. Boingo Elfman. <laughs> and then there's some of the orchestral kind of late 80s Nightbreed Darkman Batman Elfman. This has got a great score to it. I can't wait to get it on vinyl. And this strange who has a third eye like pop up, he gets like blown out by that little note and impaled like they're going to show him impaled on a wrought iron fence. He fell like all those he killed. It is poetic justice. 
Yeah, and I think this also a really violent, like, shock. By this point, we know the movie's not playing, but again, you can feel when the audience, you know, they make, audibly, they yeah. make sounds. And this one was, we're making sounds. You killed Doctor Strange. Sure, it was one that we didn't particularly like, but it, it, in a violent way, in that third eye. Yeah. What does that third eye signify? I mean, I normally see the third eye signify sight beyond, like, you can mind read or you can see the future. Yeah, that's what it means, like, in mysticism, in Doctor Strange, I mean, it's something he gets temporarily in the comics that aids him, but here I think they're telling us if you turn evil, if you get corrupted by the Darkhold, you get that third eye. That's my takeaway, which makes the ending of this even more confusing. Yeah, all right, so the ending. Like, there's no reason why Strange can't just... Go. I guess he doesn't have a way of traveling the multiverse, right? He Correct. has the dark cold copy. Yeah, he needs America. So all he can do is dreamwalk. Which is dark magic that we were told never do or it will corrupt you. It's the reason why we don't like Scarlet Witch is she did this. No, but again, that's we always like the heroes that can bend the rules to the way that we want to see things. I mean, that's we don't have a problem with breaking the rules. People hate the rules. They always want to break the rules. But yes, the only Doctor Strange in 616, he buried on the rooftop. And so very indulgently, they manufactured a reason to give us a zombie scene. I love that the big climax is going to be ugly Benedict Cumberbatch zombie strange because you think about the 90s, like Batman, he couldn't wait to take off that cowl in those movies. We had to see George Clooney or Val Kilmer or Michael Keaton. Sylvester Stallone couldn't wait to take off that Judge Dredd helmet. We got to show those money makers. That's why we pay for these big celebrities. Now we're just going to have a zombie fighting at the end of this. I love it. (laughs) Oh my God, do I love it. It is so Raimi though, the way the hand comes out of the roof. And then the fact that it's already decayed enough that like half the mouth or cheek is missing and he moves all stuttery. He's got a like jerky motion to make one of those portals to teleport to the mountain where Wong and Scarlet Witch are. Well, Wong's still climbing the mountain. He'll take out one of the monsters that we think is going to have this big fight with them once uh, Strange... He has these phantoms that, like, are telling him he shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, the souls of the dead are coming after... Because I guess he resurrected or he dreamwalked into a dead body, so the souls of the damned or the deadites just straight come for you? Yeah, they totally look like the deadites meet the demons from Drag Me to Hell. Yeah. But at the same time, they've agreed to be his cloak and fly him to the temple for this fight scene. And this is where Rachel McAdams gets something to do because they're also attacking him in that universe and she gets to find a pot that she drops the name of. I think it was in the first film as she gets to burn the souls of the damned. But if the problem has been at the root, if they told us that, look, you're always the one that has to be holding the knife, surgeon, you know, it's a, it's a scalpel, but you know, you because you insist on always being the one to make the decisions, it's really hard to love you. This is the character growth that they've been building towards. Believe it or not, he's been having more and more empathy for America, and he believes that the only way to really solve this Scarlet Witch problem is to let her come into her power and handle it. And yet he does this right after Christine is like saying, all you Doctor Strangers are the same. You're using the Darkhold. And he goes, you're right. I have to use the Darkhold. So he does exactly what all the other strangers do. And then he does the opposite. Yeah, the, the only difference is he doesn't kill America this time. He lets her keep her powers and trusts her to solve the problem. 
And Wong is even shouting, kill her, take her power. And he will not do it. He'll go over there and give a lame pep talk of, you always controlled your power. You took us exactly where we needed to go. Did she take them exactly where they needed to go? Did they need to go to that universe with the Illuminati? Or could they have hung out in the paint universe and gotten back just as well? Well, the paint universe is very hard to get back from, according to America. But no, I get your point. Like, there's nothing we learn from the Illuminati or nothing that they do that couldn't have happened similar in some other universe. It doesn't feel unique. But because of this pep talk, it's kind of like bringing Tinkerbell back with applause. And now America can control her powers, which also included, we got a hint earlier during the Shumagorath fight. She's also super strong. Yeah, she could punch open portals, but she could also just punch. And I do love like they keep that from the comics that like stars will come off of her punches. You might think that's a rainy thing doing Looney Tunes, but no, her punches do set off stars. And we see America, she punches open the multiverse, and I guess Scarlet Witch doesn't get punched into it, but she walks into it to see her kids again. It had been said earlier, she tried to guilt her by saying, what would your kids think about you murdering me? And Scarlet Witch said, they'll never know. Well, now that's not the case. They see it very clearly, popping into their living room. Mom has a weird devil horn tiara, and she's (laughs) beating up on some chick. And the kids are watching Snow White, I guess because Disney owns Marvel now, like these kids super love Disney. When we saw them earlier, they're watching some real old black and white Disney cartoon, but now they got Snow White on in the background. This one is very clearly the moment where all the animals come and, you know, are enchanted by Snow White. You know, the idea that this woman has this magical power and can pull things to her. Those dreams have all collapsed. The Wanda of this universe has raced back, has taken care of her kids, and takes pity on Scarlet Witch, and she says go find love, but she's really telling her to go take a flying leap. You know, the scene here would work so much better if those boys could act. When they are huddling behind the stair banister and being like, don't hurt us, and trying to, like, fake cry and fake be scared. Ooh, boy, I'm thinking Jake Lloyd, yippee, Phantom Menace level bad here. (laughs) Nothing's ever that bad, but yeah, I mean, I get what they're going for. Like, the kids are now scared of their mom, and she just wanted them to love him all along, and that's going to be her turn of heart, and I don't know. It's all very simple, so that eight-year-old sitting next to Stuart could understand this. Yeah, it's just not particularly satisfying, but yes, they've given a a reason why Scarlet Witch has come to her She always was reasonable, and this is a very reasonable explanation about why her plan to dominate the multiverse (laughs) to get her kids back was always stupid. And so she comes to her senses just like she did at the end of WandaVision and is going to make things right just like she did at the end of WandaVision. She lifts up the temple and then brings it down, shattering it, killing herself and Zombie Strange while the others have escaped back to Kamertosh. We don't see a body. I'm not ruling out Elizabeth Olsen showing up in something else and that she survived this. Oh, she's not dead. Yeah, absolutely. She'll be back if needed. Not to mention, again, with the multiverse, no one ever really dies because you can always pull them from somewhere else. But Christine from 838 has said she is not going to follow Strange into 616 and be his lover. She's kind of tempted. She can't. It would destroy the universe. You think it's a a choice about that? She would otherwise go with him? Yeah, I think so. I think that they both are making a hard choice there is how I take the performance. 
Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I always read that Christine was more mature of them. It's like, okay, yeah, you're, you're strange. You're going to save the world. You're never give up that surgeon knife. I get it. Like, it's not going to work out, so I'm going to move on, and I'm okay with that. No, I mean, I think that she saw that he made a different choice by letting the child hold the knife or however you want to slice that metaphor. It's pretty lame. But I thought that maybe she was like, you need to go find your own love. Like, I'm going to live my life the way that it was in this universe. And you hear Wong echo that sentiment as well, that basically whoever he might be in other dimensions, this is the one that he's going to focus on. And so should we. And this puts to bed the Christine story, right? When they say goodbye there, this is strange saying goodbye to all Christines in all multiverses. He goes, he fixes that watch and puts it away. We never have to bring Rachel McAdams back again. You sure have a lot of faith in the institution of marriage. Yeah, she got went down the aisle for some guy we never met before who happens to be a strange fanboy. Sure, it could last forever and she could never consider Steven, but I think that it's not like Rachel McAdams is one of their bigger stars. I'm sure she would love the work. I America's staying. She may not have parents, but she can learn the magical disciplines. Yeah, she's going to become a sorcerer now? I mean, I guess. What else is there for her to do? I mean, I thought she would end this by going into the multiverse to find her parents. Exactly. That's how it should end. But she's fine just hanging out at Garvertage and reinforcing all the dead troops. I guess she likes Rintra as much as my wife does. She wants to hang out with him. And strange. I mean, again, she makes a big point of before he leaves of telling him that she's glad she's in this one. That she has accepted him as different, I guess, than the strange that tried to kill her. But Strange says he's doing fine after using the Darkhold, and he did only use it for a short time and never again, but he's walking down the streets in civvy clothes, and he falls to the ground screaming, Sam Raimi hates giving a happy ending, doesn't he? That is such a Sam Raimi ending that Dr. Strange streams up to the sky, that evil third eye appears, I mean, he can't do it. Is this a sad ending? Is this a scary ending? I don't know, it just feels like, here's the teaser for the next Strange film and that's what every Marvel film does. No, you're missing. I mean, it's the end of every Evil Dead movie. It always ended with Bruce Campbell screaming. He thought he got away and then they got him. Yeah, it is Sam Raimi being Sam Raimi and I think, you know, it's fine. Why would you want it to end on a happy note? He did mess with the Dark Dimensions and now Charlize Theron wants him to go have a whole movie there. Charlie's Theron, I gotta say, I didn't recognize her. I was more confused with who is this woman in this outfit? I don't know her. You don't know Clea, the niece of Daragamu or whoever that demon was in the last film? I looked her up. She was in the 78 series. Yeah, she was the romantic interest, the one that got possessed in the 1978 TV movie. She was more Christine than Christine, let me put it that way. So I think that this could be someone that Strange could fall in love with in future movies. Yeah, they do in the comics, so I wouldn't be surprised. And I guess this is three weeks later because when we get to the end stinger, Bruce Campbell has finally stopped slapping himself. That was such a great ending to it, was that he'd been beating himself up for three weeks. That's how Strange left him. And to just look at him, look at the screen and give the ash face and be like, it's over. It was like the Ferris Bueller ending. I really thought he was just going to say groovy. Wasn't wasn't that the post credit scene of that Evil Dead remake? Just Bruce Campbell saying his tagline. Yeah, that would be funny if he did say that. But I guess we're going to have to find out where... 
Doctor Strange and Cleo went in a handful of years, because it does say Doctor Strange will return. But until then, Jacob, Stuart, do you recommend Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness? Jacob. I don't know. It's just a goofy-ass comic book. It felt like I was reading a comic, and I'm, I'm going to say that's probably because of Raimi. Like, all, yeah, all the plot contrivances and, and all that stuff, you can nitpick that with just about all these Marvel films, I feel like. Maybe this has some more plot holes or long, boring exposition scenes, sure. But to me, like, I enjoyed the goofiness of it and that it felt a little bit more dangerous when Scarlet Witch attacks the temple and we're seeing sorcerers actually die and all those horror elements that we'll get. I feel like in the second half, like, when she's attacked, the 838 and stapping necks and we're we're gonna see souls of the dam flying around like i love the look of zombie strange at the end with that cape or wings made of souls of the dam like you don't see that in a lot of these marvel films this one felt like it had more character than the average one especially with this phase four like did i recommend shang chi uh, i'm kind of regretting that now but like black widow was real stale like eternals like not a great film i recommended it though because it felt different and yeah this one has a different flavor to it and again, I think that's all because of Raimi. They actually let a director direct and have a little bit of their vision in one of their films. And Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is better for it. So it's not as good as Thor Ragnarok, but I appreciated that it leans so much more into the comics just like that one did. Like, forget trying to make them like paramilitary and we're going to put leather on the X-Men so it seems modern. Like, it does feel more and more that they're willing to embrace the crazy comic book aesthetic and Raimi I think has always wanted to lean into that so good choice here for Doctor Strange I'm going to give this one a recommend Stuart yeah I've been complaining a lot and I think there's a reason to I mean a lot of this feels like hand-me-downs and unfortunately they're not wearing it better than what was coming previously yeah we've had the multiverse before spider-man brought heart with that bringing those three spider-men together like had a power to it dramatically that this movie can't equate with the whole christine and strange love story loki had more absurdist comedy you know with the cleaning of the timelines and all it was just more fun to be in that terry gilliam world WandaVision, she already had this storyline. She was better on television than she is here in this movie. But I do agree with Jacob that in the end, the saving grace of this movie, and it's only just barely, is the fact that you do have a director who's being allowed to add little touches that are surprising. That I wouldn't go so far as to say this is the first Marvel horror movie, but I do feel like his being versed in horrific tropes helps make the moments in this movie sing when it really dares to kill characters or give us a ghastly image you could feel that it is playing looser and more dangerous and better for it and because of that i had more fun like in the end i thought the story was pretty crummy i didn't think that this was in any way helping me like dr strange anymore but i put up with him because i had a good time watching the splatter jokes and that's really all that it is. In the end, it's kind of a superficial recommendation. It's not a memorable episode. It's not even going to seemingly have echoes into the future. I don't feel like what happened here sets up anything tremendous for the rest of the Avengers to solve later. So whatever this deal is about the multiverse, you could have stopped with the animated Spider-Man movie. But if you must continue, I think there's enough slapstick humor and gore to make it a mildly enjoyable experience. And I'm going to give this one a hearty recommend. It's not top tier Marvel. It's not up there with 
No Way Home, Infinity War, Avengers 2012, Iron Man. It's not that tier, Ragnarok. It's second tier. It's around the tier of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, the other couple Spider-Man films. And the reason why it's there is because I think when this movie has action going on, which I do think is the majority of the runtime. This movie's a lot of fun, and this movie is a lot of Raimi. I'll echo what my two co-hosts said. Raimi is a huge asset to this. But I do think Benedict Cumberbatch is more comfortable in the cloak now. I think that they've discovered how to write for Doctor Strange a little bit better than they did in that 2016 film. But the character arcs are obvious. Every bit of exposition is as ham-fisted as when they accidentally step on the memory discs to replay scenes from their past to give us little bits of backstory they feel we need. I wish that they'd done better with the characters. I wish we didn't see Scarlet Witch replay the exact same arc that she did in WandaVision. Only at the end of that one, she went into exile. At the end of this one, she is presumably dead. But despite all of that, the more Raimi becomes Raimi, the more this goes on and goes from being a one-eyed tentacle monster to being zombie Doctor Strange, I'm having a great time. It helps that I love Sam Raimi stuff. I love Evil Dead and Army of Darkness and Darkman. For the love of the game, not quite so much, but the other Raimi stuff. And if you hate Raimi, then this isn't going to be for you. If you know that Raimi's style and Raimi's humor doesn't work for you, this movie isn't going to be for you at all. Because it does feel more like a Raimi-verse film than a Marvel Universe film. But to me, that's what makes it good. I had a lot of fun, and it's nice to see some flavor in Marvel Universe Phase 4, because the movies, other than No Way Home, have been bland, weak sauce. So yeah, it's a definite recommend, though, and I really hope Raimi decides to stick around and come back for a third one. It might make a difference in terms of enjoyment, but again, do you really want another Doctor Strange adventure? I think we're all saying this is better than the first film, right? Yeah, I'm saying if you're going to have to get another one, then yeah, I hope it's Raimi, if that happens. I don't necessarily want it to happen. In the same way that we're happy Taika Watiti came into Thor, we're happy Sam Raimi is here to enliven what frankly was an embarrassing leg of the Marvel. Like in both cases, Thor movies sucked and Strange's movie solo effort sucked. Here's a director that knows how to take the peculiarities of that and make something fun out of it. So yeah, I'm more inclined to like a third movie if he's involved, but I don't really want to keep going with Doctor Strange. I'm not a fan of him yet. Or maybe ever. I'd like to see where they're going with Clea. Charlie's Theron, she will sign on to your franchise, I guess. She's like the female Jeremy Renner. Hopefully she does more than she did in those Fast and Furious films. At least she'll have a better haircut. Yeah, that outfit. God. I look forward to her in Mad Max, the next one. But mm, the Marvel Universe... Eh, you could take a hard pass. What is next for the Marvel Universe? I know this summer, I saw the trailers before this movie, we are getting a Guardians Thor mashup. As Guardians of the Galaxy. But, with the twist being Thor is played by Natalie Portman? That's what the trailer leads you to believe. She came back, she buffed up, she got swole. I'm excited for this, though. I mean, Taika, 
much like I want Raimi back for Strange 3, I'm so excited Taika is back to bring his flavor back to Thor. Much like Ragnarok, it looks like little, if any, will be on Earth. This is going to be more space cosmic adventures. I'm not sure how much the Guardians are going to be a part of it. Obviously, they're giving him the ride to wherever he's going, and they'll be there at the beginning. But yeah, we got Jane Foster Thor straight from the comics, and... She's got the hammer reassembled. I love Sweet Child of Mine, so I was down with this trailer and can't wait for that movie. It's second to Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. It's the second most film I'm looking forward to this calendar year. Wow. Wow. If if you're putting all your hopes on a Thor movie, hee, not an exciting year. I'm much more excited about Nope. But anyway, yeah, the summer will experience that and want to put it out there. That's also the time that we're going to pick up with the Disney Plus show, Moon Knight. We will cover that. I guess it just finished its run. We'll cover it right before Thor. And then this fall, I'm more curious because at the recent CinemaCon, they showed footage from Wakanda Forever, the new Black Panther film. How do you make a Black Panther film without Black Panther? We'll find out this November. Okay, yeah, curious. That one just feels weird at this point. I'll I'll be honest. Like, I don't know if I should have hope for it because it feels compromised just by not having Chadwick with us anymore. Yeah, it feels unreal to me because of the loss of Chadwick. It feels like that movie isn't even happening and yet there's footage of it. So it's coming. Right. It could be a good thing, again, and I think we all are struggling. It sounds like what I'm hearing is we're struggling to find the enthusiasm about Marvel the way that it came so effortlessly. Except for Thor. You guys hated the first two Thor movies. I just want to remind you, as much as... Do you not remember I love that first Thor movie? Artie likes that first Thor one. Do you not remember this? No, I don't. He likes it. You like it? And I like it. He recommended both, though. (laughs) Oh, and I like it. That movie is the worst of all of them. We had that conversation and I stand by that Thor film as a fun rom-com. Okay, but you hated the second one. The second one is your least favorite. There's reason to at least believe Thor movies are problematic. Eternals has taken the spot of least favorite, but yes, the Dark World is second. Right. So my point is, it's weird to me that you're so enthusiastic for something that at the very least is uneven. Taika! Taika! The guy who made Thor good is coming back. I understand the enthusiasm. Uh, Yeah, you guys like Ragnarok a whole lot more than I did. I thought that movie was uneven as well. But anyway, we'll find out this summer. And then the fall, we got Black Panther, a Marvel show or two in between. Who knows? Yeah, there's things to look forward to. And fingers crossed, things that should elevate it above what we've been getting that last year of never-ending Marvel disappointment. But we've got stuff coming in between that. Next week, we return to Stephen King as a new version of his 1980 novel, Firestarter, has a new film coming out this Friday in theaters and, I guess, on Peacock? Is it really, uh, like, a new version? Like, I look at the poster and it looks identical to the Drew Barrymore one. I wonder if this is not some Gus Van Zandt psycho version of Firestarter. Like, it's been enough time and no one goes back to that Drew Barrymore movie. Maybe we can just do it again. I will say, yeah, no, they can do it again because I'm trying to recall anything from that original one and I don't. I I have no memories of it. You don't remember George C. Scott playing a Native American? Mm. I do now, but yes. (laughs) Will it be good? I'm sure they could do better. I'll put it that way. As someone that found the original underwhelming, I do think there's a chance to make... Is it too much to ask for a good Stephen King? Maybe. 
Apparently. <laughs> so that will be next Tuesday here at Now Playing. And we're also doing another giveaway. This time we are giving away five digital codes for The Lost City, the Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, Brad Pitt film. All right. Uh, kind of looked like Romancing the Stone. I didn't see it. I guess this is your opportunity. If you missed it or if you loved it, you can own it. If you want to win this, you heard our contest before, you know the rules. You need to subscribe to our In Focus weekly newsletter that Jason puts so much work into. If you go to nowplayingpodcast.com, the sign-up form is right there on the right side of the homepage. And join our Facebook group, which you can get to from facebook.com forward slash nowplayingpodcast. The pinned post there takes you to our group. And if you do both things, you're entered twice to win. If you do one or the other, you're entered once to win one of these five copies of The Lost City. Giveaway ends May 19th, so be sure to sign up to win before then. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And I don't know if you count the Guardians of the Galaxy as Avengers or not, but maybe come July, we'll be back when the Avengers Assemble! For listening to this episode in the now playing Avengers retrospective series. Lucky for us, we got the best seats in the house. Part of our Marvel Comics movie retrospective series. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Head to nowplayingpodcast.com to hear reviews of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. From Iron Man to Guardians of the Galaxy to Endgame, we've reviewed every Marvel film at nowplayingpodcast.com. Good luck keeping up. And while at our website, you can find reviews of other Marvel movies, including the Fox X-Men, Deadpool, Daredevil, and Fantastic Four films, New Line Cinema's Blade Trilogy, The Punisher movies, Sony's Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, and Venom films, and dozens more. I'm bringing the party to you. You can also find reviews of every DC Comics movie, plus hundreds of other movie reviews of series like A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Fast and the Furious, Ghostbusters, Jurassic Park, and more. Find over 1,000 in-depth movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Subscribe to Now Playing on your podcast app of choice and get an all-new movie review every single week. We're gonna knock their socks off. Want even more Now Playing reviews? By being a Now Playing patron or donor, you can get two reviews each week. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. Now Playing is an independent podcast without any sponsors or ads. We rely on listener support to keep our show going. 
Are you going to step up or not? Donate to our show, and as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Supporters get perks including bonus podcasts every Friday, the ability to listen to us live, and you can even pick a movie for us to review and join us on the podcast. We need heroes. We need you. Find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. It's a small price to pay for salvation. You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash nowplaying to see what our hosts are watching when we're not recording podcasts. And follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. It's strange. Maybe. Who am I to judge? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Well, multi-platform global operation. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's pretty good at that, right? Now Playing is edited by Arnie. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No. <gasps> you are. just did it again. You're the gun, This man. is my voice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You really think just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. On behalf of the Time Variance Authority, I hereby arrest you for crimes against the sacred timeline. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2022, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hey, fellas. Hey, wait, where are you going? I've got so many more stories to tell. Wouldn't it be weird to marry the ex-lover of somebody you're a super fan of? Like, if I married somebody Robert Downey Jr. used to f- I just, like, imagine, like, the story is like, well, he is uncircumcised. <laughs> I, I don't know. Is Pete Davidson a huge fan of Kanye? <laughs> yeah, I imagine it happens quite frequently in, like, Hollywood celebrity circles. Like, you are, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit in Underworld. Like, you're with me as an actor, then you're with the director, and I still have to work with the director.